Hey, welcome back, boys and girls. This is Corey Garvey, and this is Settle the Far, a podcast where I sit down and I talk to people who've made big moves in their lives. It could be to a new job or career, maybe moving to a new city or country, and I want to know what it was that actually flipped that switch, made them make that move. How did they think about it when they were growing up, when they were approaching it? What was the process like actually going through such a big change in their life? And after the fact, once they've settled down, what do they feel like they've learned about themselves going through all of this? Today, I sit down with Alex Weber. He is a motivational speaker who speaks at businesses, organizations, and colleges around the country, as well as a former host of American Ninja Warrior. Alex, at one point in his life, did make a big move. You know, he headed out west, headed to L.A., wanted to get into acting, into comedy, things which he still does and still is interested in. And his path has been, uh, you know, I don't think what he expected when he got out there, but certainly as rewarding as he could have imagined. For me, it was a great lesson in a lot of ways. You know, I just kind of sat there and, and picked his brain about how he examines the way he goes about making decisions, the way he views making decisions, what kind of advice he thinks is useful for somebody who is interested and curious and has plans beyond what they're doing right now or within the job that they're at, um, how do we take that on? How do we how do we approach that kind of stuff? For me, one of the biggest things is just this idea of focus. Uh, I can give a little personal anecdote right now. I have struggled a little bit just juggling 10 different things at once and having different projects, different needs in different parts of my life. And I think the, the takeaway for me in this conversation, as well as other conversations I've had outside the podcast, is just how every single choice that we make to put time into one project is time we've decided not to put into another. And having a laser focus on one specific area allows for compounding improvement and for an ability to be sort of good to ourselves and to not be upset if we fall short in one place or another. You know, if you're trying to keep 10 balls in the air, one of them's going to drop and that's going to bum you out. But instead, if you're just keeping two in the air, that can that can give you that kind of momentum and that feeling of success that beyond all these projects and beyond being successful at these these things that the world deems successful allows us to be happy and allows us to consistently say, you know, I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm succeeding at what I'm trying to do. And at the end of the day, that's super important. So, you know, that's something I, I really appreciate having talked to Alex about and having thought about recently. And I thought I uh, thought it was worth sharing. So the far can be found on Apple podcasts, uh, Google play and Spotify, as well as my website, podcast.coreygarvey.com. Please subscribe, rate, review, let me know what you think. Head over to my website. You can give me as much feedback as you want or just hit me up at Corey at CoreyGarvey.com. I am inspired just by every single time I talk to somebody and they mention the podcast or a conversation I had with someone on the podcast. So, you know, that stuff keeps me pumped up and I am looking for new guests. I'm looking for people to continue to uh, keep this run going. So don't be afraid to reach out and let me know what you think. All right, enough from me. Here is my conversation with Alex Weber. Great. I'm here with Alex Weber. He is a American Ninja Warrior, five-time TEDx speaker, someone who has 
worked with the University of Pennsylvania, LinkedIn, Stanford Graduate School of Business, the Los Angeles Lakers in his various speaking gigs. Uh, Alex is a comedian and entertainer and at one point was the U.S. Lacrosse High School Coach of the Year. Alex, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for spending some, uh, some time to chat with me today. Awesome. Yeah, Corey, absolutely. Thank you. So I wanted to ask, I mean, obviously you have this amazing sort of background resume of things that you've gotten yourself involved in. When taking a step back and looking back at when you headed off to college and you arrived, maybe brought your bags into your dorm room, Mm -hmm. what did you expect your career to look like? What was it that you wanted to to do as a as a job coming out of school four years later yeah uh great question and and truly like um one where i didn't have an answer to that my my dream was so uh obsessively wholeheartedly depths of my being to play d1 college across um that when i got there and did it you know that was then time to do that Um, and when it came to like career and life after college, you know, I, I, now when I, I, part of my job, I speak at universities and colleges. And one thing that I share is, you know, I, I just kind of did what the people around me were doing. And I don't mean that in a way of like, you know, follow the herd or like, if your friends are jumping off a bridge, are you going to do it too? Like, I, I mean it in the way of, I looked to the seniors who were, smart, cool, capable, great athletes, great people, great leaders, great students. And they all were heading towards one path. That's what our college was known for. That's what our alumni all did. And that was finance. And so I was like, well, I guess that's what I'll do too. Um, And basically did that path uh, until this part of me kept chirping up that it did not feel right. Um, like deeply in me, it it felt like there was something else that I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, the long winded answer to your question is that I didn't have any idea and it wasn't until I would say my junior summer that I really started to pick up my head from the river current and be like, is this the right river for me? Did you, did you get all the way into the world of finance and, and was there a moment during that junior summer that things seemed to hit that this wasn't yeah. what, where you wanted to be? Yeah. I was interning at Morgan Stanley and not like a killer internship, but it was, it was good. And it was at Morgan Stanley, which is like, you know, obviously a great, uh, heralded financial institution. So like a, a coveted internship and I'm, I'm doing it, but I really just had this piece of me that wanted to do something in performing and entertainment. And I, I didn't really know what that was because I can't name anyone that I knew growing up whose family was in entertainment. It was all business, law or medicine. And uh, I, uh, you know, the, the, I was like, maybe it's acting like acting's entertainment. Right. So I was like, maybe I'll just I was living in New York City. I'm like, maybe I'll go on some uh, auditions in New York City. Like that sounds. Yeah, sure. Um, let's just try it. And I remember, uh, <laughs> printing up a resume at Morgan Stanley on their printer, like, a, uh, an acting resume that was very scarce. Like I didn't have much on that acting resume. I think it was like size 18 font, but, uh, <laughs> and like my supervisor 
came from the print room and was like, hey, Alex, so we found this on the printer. Like, how do you want to go from here? Like, what do you want us to do with this? Um, but, you know, it was just one of those where that was an initial moment where I was like, huh, this is really not fitting well for me. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of a popular belief of like, well, sometimes work is just work and it sucks, but it felt very, it felt much deeper than that. It felt like a square round hole. Like it just wasn't a fit. And, uh, even with that, it took till my fall semester, uh, where I started taking acting classes. I started doing student films in Philly all the while I was interviewing for finance jobs. I was finishing that major, um, but one night I basically stayed up with three good buddies and we made this campfire, which we'd never done in all my you know years of college. And I'll never forget it because it was one of the first conversations that I ever had where we just said, hey, what do you want for your life? And I, I now really encourage people to do that often um, because there's very rarely a set aside. No one's going to mark that on your schedule. Hey, for 30 minutes today, check in. What do you want for your life? No one's going to do that. There's no class. There's no, uh, it's very rarely that even friends and family will, will carve out moments just because life is life and it's busy and it's hectic and we have obligations and commitments and goals. Um, but we had that talk. I wrote down just all this, my thoughts without fear. I just wrote down, you know, what I wanted for my life. Next morning I read what I wrote and I was like, well, that's that. And I stopped with finance literally that moment. And, uh, started making plans to move to LA and, and do entertainment. Yeah. Good for you. I, that reminds me a lot of my own sort of awakening. And when I, I, I think I had a, probably a similar moment at a financial institution like that, but I want to hit on something that you brought up this resume that you printed out that was 18 point font. Cause you had nothing to put. What did you put on that resume? What was it that <sighs> was, you know, even, yeah, I think I had done like, I think I did like a student film in high school or like, you know, it's all BS classic. Sure. Uh, I think as most people's first resumes are, it's a bit of fake it till you make it. And uh, I'm still a big believer in like, you know, I've had people apply to work with me. And to be honest with you, I don't really care what's on the resume. Like, uh, you know, I think people either show up and do a great job or they don't. And what you did up to this point is cool. But uh, yeah, so I, I think I just kind of, uh, you know, I, I think I was also put on that resume, which is a lesson I later learned in like entertainment in LA. Like no one cared that I went to Penn. Like no one cared that I majored in, you know, whatever I majored in and had a good GPA. Um, that doesn't really transfer over to, to the entertainment or arts world as as heralded as it is in like the East coast finance realm. Yeah. And when you, uh, so there's a lot of things here. I think the, the campfire story is especially interesting. And, and just that most people, I think you're right. And, and it took me, it's taken me a while. And I have to remind myself all the time of taking some time to say, what is it I want to achieve in a year or 10 years? Where do I want to be? What do I, I want my life to look like? Um, was that something that once you had that conversation became sort of routine for you to, to, to look at that in a more deliberate way or 
um, was that a one-time thing? And then it's taken time to really incorporate that into your, your life. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, my kind of life view has always been creatures on a planet. Like, uh, you know, I, I've tried to always have that perspective of like, as much as we all get intense about what we've decided is society, what we've decided is success, what we've decided is blah, 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 all that. We're freaking creatures. We're living creatures on a freaking floating rock. Uh, so like, let's not be too precious about some of these things. And I think that kind of freedom has really helped me in some situations, especially some more ambitious or daunting ones, like setting a first ever world record or competing American Ninja Warrior, doing stand-up or getting into speaking. Like, you know, my life lens is creature on a rock. Like, how safe are you want how how safe do you really want to play this thing? You know? Um yeah. so uh that's that's one where I've definitely made a habit of asking myself, what do I want for my moments on earth? And I will also acknowledge that it's a scary question to ask ourselves because our fear wants to answer it first with a lot of practicality and a lot of rational answers and a lot of safety valves of hold on, don't really answer that because if you do, it might be scary to actually achieve it. Or we might have to uproot a lot of the stuff we got going right now and switch courses to do it. And so it's not an easy qu answer to a question to answer. However, the more that we honestly answer it, the more and more and more and more and more that our life is going to start to embody it and our choices, the way, what we're doing is going to follow suit. So it's often most difficult in the beginning as most things are, but um, yeah, short answer is like, I asked myself that in college. I asked it again, uh, you know, one that really sticks out with me in a really poignant way is after, you know, so I uprooted from finance, moved to LA, didn't know anyone, didn't know anything to do entertainment. And then fast forward six years or five years, found myself hosting for NBC, American Ninja Warrior, Emmy nominated, like crazy cool. I'm like, holy crud, like I'm doing it. And yeah. we won an award, best series that I hosted. I'm like, geez, this is freaking cool. My, it's my name at NBC on an award, like rad. And then we wrapped. <laughs> uh, we won best series and we wrapped. And I was like, oh, like, oh man, okay like, you know, heartbroken and lost a little bit. And I asked, you know, what do I want to do for my moments on earth. And it was, it was speaking is really what, uh, I really love doing. And, uh, so again, kind of a rambling answer to your question, but it's something where I hope, and I encourage people to have that question be something that we ask ourselves, if not daily, weekly, um, as just like a check-in because the more that we ask it, the less it's going to be this earth shattering. I got to move to a new place and change my career and more of just slight recalibrations. Yeah. Building those habits in and like asking some of those tough questions or just whatever questions they are, it does get us even personally, I think more comfortable with facing the question and facing what might be daunting answers to it. Um, I was in a similar world of the Northeast and playing lacrosse and an expectation of going to finance. And I know how similar sort of the mindsets of a lot of people can be. Did you, you know, it sounds like 
if you're willing to print out an acting resume and, and head over to some auditions in New York while you're there, um, obviously you had some feelings that this wasn't the right thing and this wasn't exactly, you know, you didn't fit to a T every single thing that came your way that was finance related, maybe wasn't the most exciting thing that you've seen before. Was that a common theme, like kind of going up through lacrosse, through uh, just being in that environment that you felt like you had feelings for acting or for entertainment that really were were separate? And and I'm wondering because I I, I want to. I'm kind of wondering how many people also sit in some of these jobs or environments that are um, there's kind of a bit of groupthink or just a constant view and similar view on on what the world is and what we should expect and making practical decisions. And meanwhile, every single person individually is having these really radical thoughts and they want to go be an artist or go be a musician or, you know, go live in, in the forest or something like that. Like, do did, do you feel like this was something you were constantly having and it wasn't until you got that resume that you sort of acted on it or did it pop up in the summer, you know, and, and that's when you were like, okay, maybe it is something new I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. A great question. And, and, and you touched on a few things there. I, I will say that like, I think everyone, I don't think it's uncommon to have the longing or the want for a different lifestyle or career or even different life. Um, I think what, what I would encourage people to do is to really be brave and objective about what they require for their happiness, fulfillment, success. So to really, and, and that's something I, I encourage people to do is to make, make their own definition. You know, there's these words, these, these big loaded words, happiness is one success is one. Uh, fulfillment, like those are just sounds. It's what is your definition for that? And why I say that is because yes, I love what I do, but I also, because I love it, I don't begrown some of the sacrifices that are inherent with it. Um, and, you know, stability was never a that wasn't high on my values list and it, it still isn't. And so, but I have good friends where that is something that really is for them to be, feel happy and successful and fulfilled. They need to know that they're stable. Um, and so I don't think there's a right or a wrong. In fact, I know there's not a right or a wrong. Um, but people do really need to answer that question for themselves because yes, you might want to go live in the woods or yes, you might want to be an artist. But does that want, when it goes head to head with some of these other values that you have, one of them is going to win out because it is a balancing act and some things don't always, you know, fit in the equation. So, so that's all is I, I just encourage people. Um, and what's also freeing about it is it also de-romanticizes things. Like if we acknowledge that, yeah, tomorrow you want to quit finance and go make a rap album, you can do that. You fully, there's no one telling you, you can't, there's no, you know, like, and I think once we really own that, we have that freedom to do it and it's a real possibility, then we can actually look at it from a fair lens and, and figure out like, do I really want to do it? 
or do I like the idea of it? Um, so yeah, that's it is I just want to encourage people to not, to be careful about romanticizing things. Cause that'll just, that'll torment you. That'll break your heart. Um, yeah. if we look at the grass as greener, um, but I, yeah, 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 the first part of your question was, um, did I know I wanted to go into to all this? And I did like, I, you know, I was talking to a friend about it yesterday cause they asked me a similar question and I, uh, Man, I used to like geek out with stand-up comedy. I still do. I would show up. I would come home after school at 2 p.m. and I would have sports practice in the afternoon. But for an hour, I would watch Comedy Central three, three and three thirty. They would play two half-hour comedy specials, and I would watch it every day. Like now, driving around in my car, I listen to stand-up comedy albums on repeat. Like I can recite them like song lyrics. I just like, I just love the art form, and I. Uh, yeah. So, um, I think I also like a therapist, uh, has, and probably will continue to have a field day on like, you know, growing up, my dad is a very intense and volatile individual. And so I would often entertain the family to, uh, you know, keep balance or, sure. uh, if things were getting a little too intense or headed towards yelling land, I would be quick to bust out some jokes and go entertainer mode to, uh, keep the peace. So, um, I, I think you'll find something like that in, in a lot of entertainers. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that type of thing. Jim Carrey has some interesting stories of how he got comedy going in his own life and just as a way to make people laugh and keep things light in his own world. Um, so moving on as, as you sort of headed out to LA, you, you upend yourself. What did the plan look like? Did you have structure? Did you know what you were going to take on? It seems like you wanted to be an actor, but you also obviously had this um, love of comedy. Did you, what did that look like? And what was your biggest fear when you were heading out West? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think, you know, I'll answer biggest fear. Biggest fear has, and I'm sure and it still persists, but I have a little bit more of lens of like um, more clarity on it. But fear of failure, 100%. Um, now I have no fear of failing. And I think there's a huge difference in that between failing and failure. Failure is more of, a, I think, a finality. I think, and failing, which is, you know, a huge topic I speak on is, is simply the process of doing and growing and learning. Um, but then we apply a lot of shame, guilt, uh, adjectives to it. Um, but that was definitely the, the fear. And that still exists in me now. Like what if my life is not what I want it to be or reach the level of success that I feel like I can achieve? Um, but when I came to LA, it was just my, my lens was just do everything, meet everyone. That was literally what I said to myself was do everything, meet everyone. And for probably five years, I was freaking nonstop, like nonstop. It would not be like weird for me to have like an acting class during the day, then go off and coach lacrosse and then go right to like a networking event and then go to a comedy show. Like just like nonstop, do everything, meet everyone. Um, because I didn't know anyone out here and um, yeah, basically kind of giving my express route. I was doing acting cause I was like, that's what entertainment is. And entourage was big when I was in college. I'm like, Oh, acting cool. And I came out here and I was good, but like, it never really felt good. 
I kept feeling like I was wrong. I'm like trying to be these characters and people are telling me I'm wrong. And then about four years later, I just kind of like found out that hosting was a thing. And I was like, oh, wait, I can just like be me how I am at like parties with my friends. And it's and I have career success with it. Like, this is awesome. And like kind of once owning like being like, oh, I'm a host. It was like really uh, it flowed very well. Like I started booking a lot of things and it was going really well, which I think is an important thing to listen to in life is like, do we feel in flow in this or does it feel like we're going against the current? Um, and I don't want to go off on a tangent. That's not saying like I did a lot of hard work, um, but it just felt like the hard work was in stride. It didn't feel like I was trying to force things. Um, so anyways, was doing hosting and then, uh, you know, got hosting, I hosted a game show at Discovery Channel, hosted a thing with FX, um, the Grammys. And then I, you know, got American Ninja Warrior, which was so freaking cool. Um, and such a life gift. And I felt that longing in me again of like, you know, I really want to, uh, I missed when I was coaching high school lacrosse, I got awarded us lacrosse coach of the year out here in LA. And I, uh, I missed that motivational part of helping people through challenges. I just missed it. Um, and American Ninja Warrior was this beautiful thing where it combined entertainment with it also brought sports back in my life. And cause I thought I was a former athlete, I played in college and they keep calling me a former athlete, but now I'm like back to being an athlete. And then, um, it also had motivation in it. So that's where like speaking, you know, kind of entered my realm and similar to hosting once I was like, Oh wait, this is a career. Um, it like really started to flow well again with a ton of hard work, a ton of leaps of faith, a ton of putting myself out there, ton of bouncing back from rejection, including now when live events and people is not a thing. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's something where I feel very, uh, authentic doing it. That's awesome. And the, there's a, there's a lot of things I want to get into the, I think just going with the flow and, and versus going against the current, it seems like that, you know, in your short explanation there has been a huge key. Um, those four years, and cor correct me if I'm wrong, during those four years when you got out there, at some point you began and I guess were quite successful in coaching high school lacrosse? Yeah, so my first... Um... It was my side job, you know, when I first got to LA, I coached in Malibu high school. Um, but I like, I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. Uh, I love lacrosse. I love that sport so much. And then I loved working with these athletes. Um, and, uh, yeah, then I went over to Harvard Westlake high school and I was assistant for two more years. And then kind of in a crazy way, I got to be the interim head coach, meaning the head coach had to leave to move to the East coast. And right before the season, they named me the head coach. I was 25 years wow. old and Harvard Westlake is like a very intense, prestigious private school. And, um, they were like, all right, Alex, you coach this season. And then we're going to go find like a more veteran, you know, head coach for our program. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I've played this sport since I was five years old. I'm going to go all in. Like I'm going to go all in. 
I'm going to give this everything I have. I know that like other, you know, pursuits in my life will, will have to take a little bit more of a backseat, but I'm going to give this everything I have. And then I'll say goodbye to lacrosse. I'll say goodbye to this sport. Uh, and this will be like my farewell. And I did it. And that year in school history, the team had never won a playoff game ever. And in my first year, we won the championship here in LA. Um, and it was just awesome. The kids won awards. I got awards. We all like, they're my boys to this day. Um, and when that season ended, I was like, oh, well, I'm doing more of this. This is yeah. like, this is so fun. Um, yeah. So I ran the program for two more years and I'm, I'm very big on just kind of like really being honest when chapters seem like they're coming to a close. And I had seen these kids through from middle school till graduation and things were picking up with hosting and it just felt like time to move on. And as the world you know, universe would have it. It was that next spring was when I got the American Ninja Warrior job. What was it? What was there anything that sort of taught you to put closure to things that felt like they were coming to an end? And whether that was this coaching gig or pursuing acting before going toward hosting, what was it that convinced you and, and, you know, this is something I struggle with a lot. I have a lot of projects going on all over the place and putting, having my hand in 10 different things at once is not a measure of my success and my ability to do 10 things. It is, it, it I, it's clear to me that it's more about my inability to drop things. So, you know, is yeah. it, has there been something that convinced you that that is um, a necessary a necessary path to go down or is it just that you've seen success? Like what, what is it that, that has made that clear to you? Yeah, that's a really, uh, a really good question. And I think like, you know, one thing I definitely have worked on over the last years is just like focusing the laser, like, you know, that, that visualization has kind of helped me where it's like, you know, you think of like, you could think of a hose or laser or whatever helps you, but like, if we're diffusing that force, that energy, that potential across 10 different things, they're each going to get one tenth. But if you hone that sucker in on one, maybe two things, it's going to be pretty damn powerful. And I, I just started to realize I, I started to have contempt and resentment towards these other things that I was doing that were not what I really wanted to be doing. And then I was, you know, had that moment of like, no one's making me do these other things. It's only me and either my, you know, for whatever reason, feeling like I need to stay attached to them. Um, but, you know, once kind of letting go of them and, and doubling that energy back into what I really love doing, there was such freedom in it and such like peace in it. Um, so I think that's something to really be in tune to as well as like, okay, why am I still involved in this entity, project, endeavor, whatever it is for you? what would it feel like if I went more into it or what would it feel like if I pulled out of it entirely and I wasn't a part of it and to just kind of like explore that. I think, you know, that's something I've definitely learned, especially like in sports and uh, just giving yourself the freedom to explore certain options and explore different paths without such intense judgment is like really powerful. Absolutely. I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I think if speaking from personal experience, the 
it's odd how much no matter where you're at you can be your your own worst enemy on that front because being too critical of of a decision to continue on in one path or feel like you're giving up um you know at the end of the day i think at least for me it's like being a little a little less harsh would make a lot of things and and moving between things a lot more successful a lot more powerful and you you mentioned though going out there and having this fear of failing or fear of failure sorry but that now i've seen it's a big it's a theme of yours the acceptance of failing can you talk about that a little bit and why that's an important yeah maybe maybe the way that you you discussed it yeah absolutely i mean so I never really uh, internal or, or really like failing was just this word to me that was like, you're either a failure or you're not, or you failed the test or you're not, or you didn't achieve your goal or you did. Um, and then uh, with American Ninja Warrior, it's, it's a thing in that world. If you fail on an obstacle, that's what it is. You failed on an obstacle or you got through it. And my job when I started hosting it was to be this goofy athletic guy who would try the newest, toughest obstacles and like probably comedically fail. And so like, I joke, like I succeeded at failing. Like, so in that I would do it on these massive obstacles that are two stories high in wow. front of hundreds of people there. And then it would get put on the internet and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people would watch my fail videos. And I just got over it. It was like the epitome of, uh, dropping in the deep end or facing your fears. Cause like I just had to get over it because I was just doing, I had so many reps at it and failing that, uh, you know, and then I would go around the country and I would train at Ninja gyms. And it was just like, I started to notice that there was a process, a chain reaction of like what it would go from like, Oh, now it's time for me to do this feat to the end of the failing, like, and, and just kind of demystifying the process, which like, I'm happy to expand on here, but really helped. I was like, oh, there's steps to this. Like you have like a little bit of fear because I don't want to do this because I'm scared to do it. It might not go well. And then you do it and you have to like embrace the actual experience of this. You can't just endure it. And then if it doesn't go well, usually there's an emotional reaction. We get angry, we get pissed, we get withdrawn, we get quiet, we throw up freaking desk, whatever it is. And then there's a very critical moment, which is once we get past our emotions, there's an opportunity to learn something. So literally, and once like I've applied this now to everything. So like if I miss a turn and I'm driving somewhere, I'm like, okay, I'm annoyed that I missed the turn, but now why did I miss the turn? Was it because I was looking at my phone? Did I space out? Did I, you know, sing the lyric of this song too loud? Like, what can I learn from this? And then the last part, which I think is the most critical and where most people, where most people stop is that when they hit failure, they stop. Maybe they tried to do something one time. This, this might be the most uh, important thing I could possibly say in our time together. If you did something once and it didn't go well, that does not mean that you can't do it. It does not mean you're not funny. It does not mean you're not musical. It does not mean you're not athletic. It does not mean you're not charming or whatever. You're not good on dates. You're not good on public speaking. 
That is bullshit. All it means is that you did it once and the outcome wasn't great. And it was so not great that we've decided to convince ourselves that we simply can't do it. But if you keep showing up and you keep doing that, everything in this life is learnable. Absolutely everything. And that is the most freeing truth that we can internalize. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of the point that you brought up earlier about when you headed out to LA, how little everybody maybe cared about your resume, where you went to school, anything like that. And when I hear that, and it's somewhat similar in ways in certain places in tech, certain aspects of it, but it has that kind of freedom because you know that if you learn and you, and you can learn that you can sort of achieve things that there's, there's not a, there's not like a gate around the ability to do something. It's really coming back, learning from what might be a mistake or whatever it is. And that, that process, that is the process to go through. That is how you become sort of successful at American Ninja Warrior or becoming an actor or whatever it is that nobody is really showing up having figured it all out already. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that. It's all, all evolving, man. You, you nailed it. I think just, you know, that willingness and it takes, I, I think a lot of, uh, I'm going to say bravery to be humble in knowing that it's checking your ego a little bit too. And knowing that you got to just come and show up and learn. Um, yeah. I, in, in kind of going through your, your online profile and all the different, all the different places you exist on the internet. Uh, I came across on Instagram, your, I guess, efforts to give out a year of free compliments. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you talk a little bit about that? What it, what it was and what you got out of it? Yeah, man. Great question. Um, so I was, this is me like four years ago when I started doing that crazy. I, uh, I was just not liking, you know, I'd left coaching and I was doing hosting. Um, but I just missed like human connection, like in, uh, you know, LA can be very pod. Like, yes, you have your friends and all that, but like you're in your car or your place or you're going to the thing that you're going to. And it's like these pods. And I just wanted to like mix it up with people. I'm an East coaster and like, I like shooting the breeze and like all that stuff. And so, I just like went to CVS, got a cardboard sign, wrote free compliments on it, stood in a street corner and just like had fun with people. And, uh, you know, I put it online and it made other people smile. So I was like, all right, I'll just keep doing this. And fast forward, did it in like a bunch of different states. Um, yeah, for like four years now I've been doing it. And, uh, yeah, it's something like, you know, there was a period where I was doing it very often. It's something I think I will still do, uh, just to have fun with every now and again. Um, but I do it, you know, in my life without the sign. Um, but yeah, you asked what I learned. I think, I think, uh, two things I'll, I'll offer from it. One was I'm an outgoing person. Yes. It was always, I, I tell people this cause they've asked, like, it was always uncomfortable for me to put on a cardboard sign, go on a street corner and like enter other people's space. Like, uh, you know, kind of put myself into their world. Um, so that 
you know, just that doing things that make you uncomfortable is a good thing, which, you know, we all know, but that was just like another uh, truth of that. And one takeaway that I'll offer people is like, you know, it's not always easy to make friends. It's not always easy to initiate conversation with someone whether that's in a work environment, whether that's, uh, you know, like maybe you're interested in someone. Um, I will say the fastest way to connect with someone. So this is even if you're traveling, they're in another country, or maybe in your own life journey, you just need to challenge yourself to connect with people who maybe look different than you or act different than you. And that's, that's great. I, I very much encourage you to, to be on that journey and to do that. And one of the best ways that I have found is to find something positive about that person. Anything, anything. If you can find something positive about someone, you're immediately coming from a place of connection, of uplifting, of positivity. So it can be like, I love your shoes. I love your smile. I love your energy. I love what, the way you parked right there, whatever. But you find something positive about someone uh, and it's an immediate wonderful way to start a connection. Yeah. I don't think it's only sort of a, a hack to connect in a way that sort of, and, and I, I think this is part of what you mean. It's not just getting the person to accept you, but it, it gets you to accept them more than you'd expect. And you know, if you're looking at someone and you're, and you're working to find that compliment and being positive, because that's sort of the attitude you have to have bringing up something positive to somebody, you start to look at the person in a positive light. And right. It, it, I, I can imagine just that like coming out of an, a day of giving people compliments or an hour or whatever it is, it's a super, you know, exhilarating experience because you're sitting there the whole time finding out, looking for the best in people, right? Exactly. I mean, it was exhausting in like a great way. Um, but it's, that's exactly right, man. Like it made me feel good to make other people feel good. And I don't think there's anything, uh, you know, um, I think it's okay to be, um, I don't want to use the word selfish cause it's not selfish, but like you're allowed to feel good about doing something good and there's nothing ugly about that. Um, and so like, if it's going and volunteering or donating to something and that makes you feel good, like rock on, do more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that, do you think we, we, you know, maybe it's social media, maybe it's the fact that we can sort of put these things online and make them a thing does that seem like a problem that exists now that like the, these kind of, I don't know, charitable work or, or giving compliments is construed the wrong way? Or do you think it's, I mean, sometimes I feel like it's an excuse that people make that, you know, why am I going to go, uh, like, I don't need to go work for, go help out some charity just to go tell other people about it. And therefore I'm not going to do it at all. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm getting on something that doesn't actually exist, but you're, it does you're feel like social validation. Yeah, it does seem like the world sort of um, it, it's almost like gotten to a like a second level of it where rather, you know, maybe there was a time when people go to do some charitable work so that they can go tell other people about it. Now people almost avoid the charitable work because they don't want to be seen as only doing it for the validation. And that oh, that'd be I tragic. Think, 
I think the point you're bringing up is like any good act is a good act just on its face. And you don't really. Yeah. I got a friend who donated something like, you know, a grand uh, to a cause recently and posted on it. And like, heck, and if, if, if getting X number of likes makes him feel good and that organization gets a thousand dollars to their cause because of it, rock on. I don't, I don't see any ugly in it. I don't see any, you know, I don't know if I would have come and put on a cardboard sign and done on a street corner if I didn't make videos and have people say, this is awesome. Thanks for doing it. Keep doing it. Yeah, that feels good. But where's the ugly in that? You know, Um, I think people have gone now to the other end where they like, man, that sounds tragic to me. If someone's not going to go volunteer or do something because they're worried about other people's projections on whether they should or shouldn't or why they like, dang yeah do it you, for whatever reason gets you to do it <laughs> absolutely so connected to that you brought up uh sort of this fake it till you make it attitude and i i, I think you pulled back a little on it but I, it it kind of feels in a similar line and i've always had the attitude that like whatever you can do to convince yourself to go down the right path or make the right decisions um or get yourself into that position where you can have that impact you want to have so long as you're not doing anything ugly along the way is, is the right thing to do. And like it, it might not, it might feel almost dishonest in ways, but, um, but that it's important because it, it convinces you, it gives you the confidence, it gives you, um, it sort of lets you see where it is you want to get to. Like how, how much of that has been necessary for you in going into hosting and going into these spaces, lacrosse coach, uh, where you haven't been of just convincing yourself that maybe you're better equipped than you are. And have you ever felt like a imposter in those moments? So I think those are great, great questions. I think what has always, um, and this might offend people, but it's something I believe I don't care where someone went to school. I don't care what certificate is on the wall. I don't, it doesn't mean anything. There are people who are good at things and there are people who are bad at things. And we've all gone to a barber shop that had a nice ass sign out front and it looked great inside. And you came out looking like Macklemore in a rainstorm, like, you know, so there are good doctors and bad doctors. There's a doctor who missed my mom's cancer and then a doctor who found it six weeks later. So I don't care what certificate is on the wall. And I think ultimately there are people who really care and fully commit with their human capability, every effort of focus, their heart, their energy, their abilities. And there's people who don't, and there's people who check boxes and try to get through it. And I think knowing that truth has really helped me where like I didn't care going against coaches who have coached for 30 years. I don't care standing on and doing stand up and it's not a um it's not a lack of respect. That's absolutely not it because I also try to learn from everyone. Um and you have to like respect and revere people who have been doing things for a long time. What it means is to not put people on a pedestal or things on a pedestal that means that you can't do it just because you haven't. Um, and 
again, it goes back to that failing, that willingness to know that like, all right, I'm, I haven't been doing this 30 years and I'm not great at it now. However, if I continually show up and keep giving the best of myself relentlessly, there's no way but improving. I'll, I'll definitely improve. And it's ironic because the imposter syndrome only snuck in once I was actually doing it. Like once I was actually, you know, getting asked to come give Ninja Warrior clinics at gyms, once I was asked to speak in front of a lot of people and valued for my time and, and, and what I speak on, then the imposter voice starts chirping up of like, are you a fraud? Like, should you really be valued like this or should you really be doing it? It's so it's funny how our brains work like that. Um, but then I think it, it really comes into play of not believing everything your brain is telling you. Absolutely. So in your speaking role and how, and, and, and I guess going around and um, sort of talking and inspiring different groups, how did that start? And how, have, how, how do you frame yourself in terms of what you're bringing to an organization that you go to speak at? Yeah, so I love speaking uh, so much. Incredibly thankful to do that. Um, so, you know, the main topics that I speak on are leadership and high performance. Um, within that, it's a lot of how do we actually accomplish our goals, starting with self-belief, and then how do we overcome obstacles? And that's, I think, the meatiest part because – Again, where most people don't reach their goals is when they've gotten knocked on their butt two, three, four, five, six times, and it gets a lot tougher to dust yourself off and get back up there. And that is ultimately, you know, I called it, I call it the build or bail moment, where you're either going to bail on yourself and bail on what you're doing because it's become so daunting and intense and discouraging, or you're going to dig in and keep taking those small steps to build it. Um, so yeah. And I also, you know, whenever I speak to, to people, I do tailor my message. If it's, if it's a college, I'm going to speak to them at where they're at in their life. If it's real estate brokers or if it's farmers in Iowa, which I've done, or if it's American Ninja Warriors or, you know, what have you, um, there's universal truths that we're all going through. Uh, but there's also, really understanding and connecting with where the particular people are in that place and time. What, what have you had to learn to prepare yourself for that? And maybe it's those specific talks, but also speaking professionally, has that been, were you ready for that when you started doing this? Well, it's one of those things where you grow to it. Um, and it's, it was, it's no different than doing, uh, Ninja Warrior standup or competing in a championship game. You prepare, you give the best of yourself, you go out and do the best that you possibly can. And then you learn and you grow. Um, and that's exactly what, you know, I've done with it. Um, I, you know, uh, I'll say this to myself often is a John Wooden quote, quote, John Wooden quote that says, failure to prepare is preparing to fail. 
And I think a lot of times I would kind of, you know, years ago, kind of lean on this ability where I am good on my feet. I'm good thinking on my feet and all that stuff. And I'd be kind of like, no, it'll be great. I'll have my adrenaline going. I'll just wing it. And I've learned that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) That's a lot of pressure. And that commodity to improvise, to think on the fly, that still exists even with being rock solid prepared. So I, I think just as time's gone on, I've just really realized that strategic preparation, like having a clear goal and then having a blueprint to achieve it and preparing that blueprint so that it succeeds in the moment is no reason to not do that. Uh, so that's totally. something that I've definitely, you know, as time has gone on, just try. Yeah, there's a there's a quote I really like that my wife brought up to me recently, which is this idea. It was from Eisenhower that uh, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. And I've I've had this I had this the first interview I ever had for any job was a internship. And I went in and I was not prepared and I thought I could speak on my feet and I would I would do well. And I just got toasted like the, the there's two guys that were interviewing me they were laughing in my face while they were interviewing me and i remember going in for an interview later maybe a month later and i was totally prepared i had like really crushed it and it's funny because everything i had read and all these details about how markets worked and things like that none of it came up but that preparation put me in this state of feeling in control and I, I just like distinctly remember somebody asking me a question and telling them I don't know the answer to that. But but here's another, you know, little anecdote that I think gets at what you're trying to what you're trying to pull out here. And it was just this confidence that I just couldn't drum up if I hadn't prepared and actually sort of gotten together the full understanding of what I was getting mm. into. And it it's just it really is such a, a difference in how, at least for me, I've been able to like come into a situation and be all right with maybe um, missing one piece of something because I know why I missed it and why maybe there's a blind spot or something. But being unprepared, even those spots where I'm, I'm confident, sometimes uh, it becomes a little shaky because I'm not I'm not fully aware of the whole situation. So I can really empathize with that. It, it, it like it's driven me in a lot of moments of preparing for whatever it is that I'm, I'm getting into. Yeah. And I I love that, you know, your willingness also to say, I don't know, which I think, you know, sometimes people I think are, uh, our pride or fear of what colleagues or other people might think of us makes us not want to say, I don't know, but that's like, you know, there's an old thing of like, I don't know, but I'll find the answer. I mean, that's the truest thing. Someone who's willing to acknowledge uh, and then do the legwork to figure it out. I mean, that's that's huge. Absolutely. I, I have a friend who's easily one of the smartest people I know. He's studied like physics and all this theory and stuff. And I am always just so surprised with how simple and naive some of his questions sound and you just realize that that's how 
He's learned so much. It's mm -hmm. asking the stupid questions, you know, and you can, you get into a room and as you get a little bit older, you realize that the person who acts like they know everything, they're the, the one that's missing out. And it's the person who's asking those stupid questions that is the one who probably has the most answers to everything because they can consistently are not worried about what other people are going to think of them. I love that. So true. Um, cool. Well, you know, it, we're, we're kind of coming on, uh, up close to an hour. So just a few more questions here. I, I'm wondering, like, you know, going through all of this and it's really inspiring your willingness to get into new things and admit to spaces where you can learn, being open to failing, things like that. Um, what kind of either books, movies, people have inspired you? And is there anything that, like, you, you just mentioned this John Wooden quote, is there anything or anyone, whether it's in your acting or comedy or athletics, that uh, has consistently been an inspiration for you to make any of these big moves? Ooh, that's good. I mean, there's definitely people that I just admire a lot. Um, but there's not, it'd be tough for me to say any one singular, uh, there's no like one singular person or, or thing. Um, you know, it'll just be like, I'll listen to, or I'll see a quote by someone or I'll listen to a song. Like, you know, I listened to this song. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, it was an, uh, Abbott brothers song. And one of the lyrics is decide what to be and go be it. And I was like, well, that's the truest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yep, that's, that's real good. Um, so just like little things like that, that I think just like nudge you. Um, yeah, man. And I, and I think it's, it's good to have our, just our ears and eyes open to those things. And I'll also say that fear and our minds can be a mother and they're, uh, they don't always have and oftentimes don't have our best interests at heart. Um, and just to grant ourselves that freedom to explore what things are like without judgment. So like, huh, I wonder what this might be like. And, and just that ability to be curious. I, you know, I don't know if that sounds silly for people listening to this, but um, curious rather than like intense with judgment is just such a, there's so much freedom in that to explore things. Um, and though that exploration is ultimately the groundwork of where you're going to make meaningful strides. Yeah, those are, those are great words of wisdom right there. Is, is there anything, I think that's a good spot to kind of wrap things up. Is there anything else that maybe you'd want to, you'd want to say to the, the listener out there who, has some things that they're a little bit curious about. They want to explore, but maybe they have some fear toward it. Maybe they just aren't sure where to begin, where to get started, what they should be trying to accomplish in that area. Yeah, I love it. Um, do it. <laughs> um, I like one of the TEDx talks I did was called Start Sucking, and it's basically just 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 start just start. And I, I want to say one other thing with that though, is view things like an experience. So if you want to, you know, pick up 
knitting or learn how to do stand up, or you just want to like maybe cook date night or, you know, it doesn't have to be these, like, you don't have to climb Mount Kilimanjaro Everest, like whatever it is for you that you just want to do. And you may have some fear around, um, view it like an experience rather than like a success failure. Just view it like it's a thing that you're going to do. And it's an experience and experiences have so much riches and gifts in them beyond the simple pass fail. Uh, so that's it. As I would say, if there's something you were thinking about doing, do it and give yourself the freedom that it's just an experience and you can take it one step at a time. Well, those are great words of advice. I think I myself will be thinking about that as I go into these, uh, these little endeavors of my own. So Alex, Awesome. Thank you for thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking some time to talk about these things. It was it was great to hear all about your story and all these um, just the amazing steps that you've taken, and it's been inspiring for me. I hope it is for everybody else who's been listening. Thanks again. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. My pleasure. If anyone has any questions or they want to talk, I'm I'm Alex Weber on all the things. Um, and uh, Corey, thanks so much. Yeah, and just again, that's at I'm. Alex Weber, I-M-A-L-E-X-W-E-B-E-R, I'm alexweber.com. Yeah, uh, enjoy the day, and, and thanks again. Awesome. Would you look at that? Another week of Settle the Far already done. At least I got Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates to listen to. Man, that was a good episode. Hope he gets another good guest on next week. Hope there's another episode next week. Maybe I'll give him my friend's name. I got it. I'll make moves and get on the show myself. I'll never rob a man.